now. Yes? Oh, I can hear me now. All right. Good morning again. It is good to see you. Wednesday will begin the new quarter uh, in our Bible classes. You know, one of the keys to a church growing in every good way is for uh, her to have a very vibrant and strong Bible class program. And God's blessed us with so much talent here. And we're thankful that uh, several are uh, teaching in our program quarter by quarter. And we're looking forward to uh, the class offerings that begin uh, you can look in your bulletin, you can find that full schedule, and we appreciate those who are serving this quarter and those who continue to step forward and do that as we go uh, uh, forward from here. It was Alexander Pope, I suppose, that said that good humor and good sense must ever join to err is human and to forgive is divine. But I think C.S. Lewis may have captured more fully how we feel When it comes to this struggle, that everybody believes that forgiving is a lovely thing until he has something that he has to forgive. You know, we will observe perhaps sometimes online or through the news and we'll see instances of people who were hurt by someone else. And they'll say publicly before the camera or in some way to one who is interviewing them how they forgive or they release uh, the hard feelings that they have towards somebody that has done wrong to them. And yet more regularly what we hear when somebody has hurt someone is that there will be anger and there will be bitterness. There will be resentment and even hatred. You know, we struggle to forgive on so many different fronts, don't we? It's put to the test in so many different ways. We struggle to forgive if our spouse has been unfaithful to us. We struggle to forgive if somebody that we have trusted swindles us or cheats us. We may struggle to forgive if we find ourselves in a place where a friend that we trust gossips or reveals a secret about us. Or maybe the struggle for forgiveness comes at the hands of parents who physically abused us or someone else sexually abused us. Or maybe the circumstance is that we feel like the church has let us down. In all of these kind of circumstances, we are challenged to forgive. That word forgive, we heard it in our prayers. We thought it perhaps during the Lord's Supper. It's hard for us. It shows up in our songs. It's so much a part of who God wants us to be. It's a central and daily challenge. And I want to point out to you that in the New Testament there are two words that are used for forgiveness. And the first word that we come across is the word ephemi. And the word ephemi means to send away. It's kind of the idea, if you remember back in the sacrifices of the old law, that there were two goats on the Day of Atonement, and one was slain, and the other was the scapegoat, and the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat and would send it away out into the wilderness. The idea is that the guilt was carried away from the presence of the sinners. And while this word is used to speak of what we do for one another... In Matthew 6 and verse 12, and in Matthew 18, in the passage that Mac read so well just a moment ago, or in Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, there is another word that I would like for us to focus on. And that's the word charizomai. 
And that word charizomai is a word that means to pardon or to forgive. But there are really three major ways in which the word is used in the New Testament. It means to give freely. And it's a word that's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And what is perhaps the high water mark of assurance in the New Testament. You remember how Paul says, um, if God be for us, who can be against us? God that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's our word, charizomai. But it also is a word that means to cancel a debt. It is in this way that Jesus uses that word. Do you remember when there's the sinful woman and there's Simon the leper? Simon's brought him into his home and he doesn't tend to Jesus' hospitality needs. And the woman, she with her tears washes his feet and there's judgment going on. And Jesus decides to tell a parable in which he says that a certain money lender lent two men, one 500 denarii and the other 50. And when neither of them was able to pay, he frankly forgave them both. There's our word. But then there's another way in which that's used. That means to show oneself gracious by forgiving. And it's in this sense that the word is used in our text today. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, So as those who are beloved of God, holy... Individuals who are chosen of God, put on a heart of compassion, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against anyone, as the Lord forgave you, so also should you do. Now right there in those two verses in Colossians, we have the Apostle Paul trying to help us to realize the great challenge that we face in forgiving others who've hurt us. But he's also empowering us. We're going to see four things that Paul tells us that can help us. And and as you go through Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul is talking about what it means to live the new life in Christ, that we've changed our ways, we've given ourselves to him, and as those who have done so, there are challenges we face. What's the greatest challenge you face in your Christian life? Is the greatest challenge that you face overcoming the struggle of immorality? Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 3 in verse 5. Is the greatest struggle that you have, the challenge of your tongue and your attitude. He deals with that in Colossians 3, 8 and 9. But maybe your challenge, if you had to rank them, was trying to forgive somebody who's hurt you. In verse 12 and 13, Paul highlights the challenge, but he tells us how that we can respond to that. How do we do so? Will you notice with me in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13, four things that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do if we're going to overcome the challenge to forgive is we need to remember our position. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, look, you want to be motivated to forgive others? Then just remember who you are. And to do so, the Apostle Paul highlights three things about who we are. The first thing he says is, you are chosen of God. Now, with this word, the idea is that God wasn't forced. He wasn't placed into a position to where he had to do so. He gave careful, thoughtful consideration. And after having done so, he said, I choose you. You want to see a beautiful uh, life-affirming principle? Read Ephesians chapter 1, and you'll see where on three different occasions, God says, you're my treasure, you're my blessing. 
I've chosen you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You know, we say sometimes we don't believe in predestination. That's not true. We don't believe in Calvinistic predestination, but we certainly believe in predestination because it's a biblical idea. What is predestination? It means to choose the destination beforehand. And Paul tells us, even in this text, how that's done. He says, you are chosen of God. How does he do so? Go back to Colossians 3 and verse 1. He chooses you when you choose to obey Jesus Christ. And you're raised up with Him. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Your life is hidden in God by Him. Colossians 3 and verse 4. You're uh, given access to that new man by this decision that you make. Colossians 3 verse 10. When you choose God, God says from the beginning, I have chosen you to be mine and to be saved. That's going to help me. To realize this lofty position that God has placed me in. He says, I choose you. And so that's going to help me with the choices that I make. But not only that, he says that you're holy. You're holy. And this word is found six times in the book of Colossians. And almost every other occasion in the book of Colossians, the word is translated saint. It is written to those saints at Colossae, those holy ones, in Colossians 1 and verse 2. And a beautiful truth is that these saints, these holy ones, loved all the other holy ones. Colossians 1 and verse 4. These saints were chosen to receive an inheritance. Colossians 1 and verse 12. And the before unknown mystery has been revealed now through Christ to the saints, the holy ones. Colossians 1 and verse 26. So Paul says, you are set apart by God. When I look at you, as you're in Christ, I see you as somebody who is set apart, you're holy. And I want you to remember that position that you occupy. Remember your position. You're chosen of God, you're holy, and you're beloved. Now this is the indication that God sets His heart in your direction. That He has joy in expressing His love toward you. When I think about the fact that Bowling Green is growing so fast, I guess it's the third largest or the third fastest growing now. It has been the first fastest growing, but there's more and more people all the time. And it used to be just you judge that by Scottsville Highway, but now you can judge it on a lot of different roads. You can even judge it coming down Cemetery Road if it's the right time of day. There's people coming from everywhere. And as God looks down on that, and as we do that world population-nometer that goes on and it continues to count that we're coming ever closer to 8 billion people, that when God looks down over that vast array of people, He sees His children and He has a, a special affection for us. And I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your parents, but maybe when you were young and innocent, the idea of doing anything to hurt them or to bring shame on them would have driven you to try to do everything you could to respond to all that they were doing for you. Well, when we think about what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's talking to people who are struggling to forgive others. He says the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to remember your position If you will embrace the high place that God has put you, you are chosen by Him. You are set apart. You're holy. And He loves you in a special way like He loves nobody else on the face of this earth. Won't that help me not to be petty? Won't that help me not to be vengeful? Won't that help me to not be counting up the offenses that someone else has done to me because I want to respond to that so much? 
But then second, how do we overcome this struggle to forgive? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that we've got to be prepared. The way he says it, I think, is very interesting. He says, put on a heart. Now, when we think about the word heart, the main word in the New Testament that is translated heart is a word from which we get our word cardio or cardiac. And it is found throughout the New Testament. But this word here is only found four times in the New Testament. And it was the word that the Greeks used to speak of the internal organs. So it's the liver, the intestines, the heart, the lungs. In one time of the four, it's used literally. Do you remember Luke is looking back on the betrayal that Judas did of Jesus and how he goes out and he hangs himself and when he falls from the, the place of hanging, his uh, entrails come out? That's the word. It's a very graphic word. But it is used figuratively the other three times. And it is a word used to describe the inner feelings, the soul, the seed of our emotions and our passions. If I am going to overcome my struggle to forgive, I have got to win over my emotions. And so the Apostle Paul mentions five qualities that we've got to put on. In the rest of that verse, he lays them out for us. He says that we are to be compassionate. That basically means to show sympathy. It means that I put myself in your shoes. And I try to see things from your position. If you have hurt me, if you have wronged me, I try to ask myself, well, what was it that drove them? What were the factors? What were the conditions involved in that? There's compassion. But then he, uh, he leaves that and he talks about the idea that not only are we to show compassion to one another, we're to show kindness to one another. A mellow disposition. Now that doesn't come easily, does it? If somebody has hurt you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be kind. You want to make them feel exactly what you felt. You certainly don't want to have an even temper about it. But Paul says you're to put on a heart that includes kindness. But then you're also to put on a heart of humility. Humility means Seeing ourselves as small and inasmuch as we are, having a proper estimation of self. How does that help me? I put on a heart of humility and that keeps me from having an overinflated view of my self-importance. You think about it when somebody has hurt you. You think about your rights and you think about your feelings. Paul is saying you put on a heart that is humble. But then you put on a heart of gentleness. And this word is a word that, that speaks of us letting go what we could hold on to. And then he says to be patient. Now this is an interesting word because the word patient here means that you refrain from doing what you have the right and the ability to do. That it is within your power to really make somebody pay, but you've refrained from doing that. Why does he say... Put on a heart. Why is part of the the battle to overcome our struggle to forgive about preparation? Why does he say put on a heart? Because these things don't come naturally. If you are led by your passions and your feelings and you don't train them, you're going to behave in the opposite direction of what Paul calls for here. He is saying you've got to train your heart and be prepared You know, this is good advice for all of us because if you've never been hurt or betrayed by somebody else, give it time, you will be. And what are you going to do when it happens? You have got to be prepared. 
and to rise up to that challenge. But I want to focus on a third thing that he says. Even though it's in that list of other qualities that we just saw, I want you to notice the third thing is that we have got to be patient. Now what you'll find is that the Apostle Paul is especially good at this. He'll give us an imperative, that is a command. And then he'll follow it up with participles. They're oftentimes translated I-N-G. And those participles tell us how to obey the commands, and they take on the force of the commands. And so the command is put on a heart of those qualities that we just saw. And the way you do that is through these two participles. Number one, you do so by bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. The idea is you put up with stuff. Usually this word is translated endure. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 12, when you're persecuted... Endure. Paul says, how do you know if you're living the life, embracing the blessings of God? Ephesians 4 and verse 2, you bear with one another. Same thing as is said here. And then the Apostle Paul praises the Thessalonians because they endured afflictions and hardships through their faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. So the idea is that I put up with stuff. Now, as you think about this command... What's beautiful here is, as he's talking to the church, this is not just something that we've got to do with the world. It's something that we've got to do with those who are members of the church. It's not just something we've got to do with strangers. It's something that we do with family. And the thing is, it's harder to do. If you and I are very close, you know, what happens is I'm going to invariably expose to you my, my weaknesses, my annoyances, and what's going to have to happen if that, that relationship is going to continue to go forward is you're going to have to put up with some stuff. And I'm going to have to do the same thing as I get to know you. The Apostle Paul says in the arena of forgiveness, it's all about putting up with stuff. Now, there's a different lesson for not allowing somebody to walk over us or to take advantage of that. That's a responsibility that that person has. But what Paul is doing is he's speaking to the potentially offended one and he says, I want you to have a heart that puts up with stuff because we all have to. And then he says, you're doing that by forgiving one another. It's the same thing Paul says in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 4.31, we're to put off things like anger and clamor and wrath and malice and slander. And we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Do you see what he does in both of these passages? He appeals to what God's done for us as the basis for our forgiving one another. As God has shown grace to you, be gracious to one another. We'll say more about that in just a moment. You know, our hearts and our minds go to the Middle East today, doesn't it? What's happening right now has got us on pins and needles. And we think about how man can be so inhumane and so unkind to his fellow man. And it doesn't necessarily bring out our best emotions. Back in the late 1970s, in another part of the Middle East, the Lebanese uh, had Druze guerrilla fighters who were trying to upset and unsettle the government in that country that's often unstable. And at that same time, things had not gotten bad enough that there weren't foreign students over there studying the Bible. And so there was an American uh, a student in a seminary who was studying, and he was going from one village to another. When one of these Druze guerrilla fighters came up with a rifle, 
and uh, told him to march down the hill where he was going to execute him. Well, this seminary student was also one who'd had military training, and so he was able to disarm his captive. And so now, with his weapon in his hand, he was marching that Lebanese uh, Druze guerrilla soldier down the hill to give him what he was going to give him. But somewhere down the hill, he had just been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And he thought about what Jesus said. He says that you're to love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Rash, impulsive, I don't know. But he threw that rifle in the bushes. And he told that Drew's fighter that he was free to go. And he began to walk back up the hill. It was just a moment or two later that he heard footsteps behind him. And he thought, I guess he's gotten that rifle out of the bushes. He's going to come and finish the job that he started. But he continued to walk, didn't look back at all. And as he continued to walk, finally the Drews caught up to him and grabbed him. And hugged him. And thanked him for sparing his life. You and I probably will never be in a position like that. But emotionally and spiritually... There's going to come a time when you're going to have the drop on somebody. And you could lower the boom on them. Paul says, choose to forgive. Paul's challenging us in our struggle to forgive, to see what it is that must be done. And really, the challenge isn't over until we get to the end of the verse. And this, perhaps, is the greatest challenge of all. If we're going to overcome the struggle to forgive, then we've got to remember our place. We've got to remember our place. And our place is to give what we've been given. He says, if anyone has a complaint against any, just as the Lord forgave you, so also do you. Whenever I see this idea of debt, it is typically used, and even in Colossians, it's used of what God has forgiven us. In Colossians 2 verse 14, we had these debts against us and God forgave us those debts, having nailed them to the cross. And what he wants us to do is to remember our place. Our place is to forgive, forgive as we've been forgiven. And he doesn't go into the details here. He goes into the details in Matthew's account. What Mac read to us this morning in Matthew chapter 18. And if that doesn't challenge us, then we're not paying attention to it. Peter is trying to exceed the, the righteousness of the Pharisees. And he comes up and, and he, he has a very charitable, a very liberal number. He says, how many times in a day should I forgive? Let me ask you a question. Think back hard. When's the last time anybody ever hurt you in the same way six times in one day? Ever happened? Hadn't happened to me. Six times, same thing, same day. Maybe on the playground in elementary school, I don't know, but not, not, not much since then. So Peter's being very charitable here. And he says, seven times, seven times a day. You can almost see him patting himself on the back. That was a good theological insight there, Peter. What does Jesus say? Keep going to 490 in a day. I know you can't get there. There's hardly enough time to breathe, eat, sleep, and do anything else much less have somebody hurt you and forgive them that many times. And, and he doesn't end it there. That would be a great place to end by saying, basically, infinitely, this principle is applied. But he says, let me give you a story. There's a man, and he owes his master 10,000 talents. We, we, don't, we, we don't use that currency, so it doesn't really uh, resonate with us. 
But Biola University business professor uh, did the math, and he gave us the 21st century equivalent of 10,000 talents. And, and he said it's $7.04 billion. Did you know, according to Forbes, there are only 100 people in the world who could actually even pay that debt, and it would wipe out most of them. But he says that's how much he owed. That puts it into perspective, doesn't it? He has no ability to pay that. It's going to cost not only him, but his wife and his children. He is going to, to, he's going to face misery. And the master, knowing he doesn't have it, you know what the, the servant pleads with, don't you? I want more time. I'll pay you. How do you pay $7.04 billion? But, but just let me kick the can down the road. Let me do what I can. I'll pay you back. Wouldn't it have been gracious of that master to say, okay, I'll give you the time. No, he says, I've wiped it off the books. It's gone. Can you imagine the relief that that servant felt? Who leaves the presence with the debt erased. And he runs into a guy that owed him a little bit of pocket change. And he, and he goes through the same routine that the master went through with him. Hundred denarii, well, about a third of a year's salary. May have been hard, sacrificial for that one who owed the debt, but he could pay it back. And he says, give me some time and I'll do it. You remember what he did? He threw his arm around him and he said, oh, it's okay. Look what I've just been forgiven. I'm happy to do that for you. That's a strange... I don't think he was hugging him when he had his hands around his throat. He said, no, absolutely not. How dare you even ask? The servant saw it. I don't think this was gossip. It needed to be done. They went back and they said, hey, remember that guy you wiped off $7.04 billion? Let me tell you what he just did. The master wasn't happy. Brought him back into his presence. And he says, I'm going to deliver you to the torturers until you can pay what you owe. What does that mean? As long as he lived. What's Jesus' point? There's eternal consequences. That's sobering. What's he telling me? Remember your place. Kanye West, about five years ago, went on Twitter and he said he was in debt $53 million. Most of us won't see $53 million in a lifetime. But it appeared to have been in response to Mark Zuckerberg and his wife saying they were going to give billions in charitable causes. And he wanted to be one of those charitable causes. And you look at a situation like that, I don't know what kind of decisions he made, but you, thought, you might think how wasteful, how foolish to, to so dig yourself in a hole. If you had all the money in the world, the Bible says you couldn't pay for one transgression. And God said, I forgave it all. But it's conditional. I would hate to stand before my Lord in the judgment and to lose my soul because I forgot my place. I've been forgiven everything. Even when it's hard. Why is it hard? It's hard because we face repeat offenders, don't we? It's hard because sometimes we wonder if there's, there's true sincerity. It's hard because it hurts so much. 
God is omniscient. He knew that. And yet he still says, this is what I want you to do. You're struggling to overcome your battle to forgive. Remember your place. But also, remember this exalted position that I've given to you. You're my chosen, holy, beloved one. I hold you in this regard. Live up to my expectation. Be prepared. Put on a heart. It's not natural. It doesn't come easy. Put it on. Be patient. That means you bear with and you forgive. And remember your place. You have been forgiven everything. Forgive those who hurt you. Perhaps this morning that's a struggle that you have. And you need us to pray with you and for you. Maybe it is that you face that debt of sin, not having had it paid. God tells us how that that debt is paid. Jesus paid it all. We sang that today. How did he pay it? He died on the cross in our place. How do we get the benefits of that? We respond to his grace by believing that Jesus is God's son, repenting of sins, and being baptized to have those sins washed away. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you now. Let us know. Don't let this day go by without taking care of that need. If you're a child of God, and maybe your struggle's not this, maybe it's one of those other struggles in Colossians 3, and we can help you. We would love to pray with you and for you and to go to God's throne on your behalf. If this is your invitation, come now as we stand and sing.